Hello and welcome to the Road to Open Science podcast, your guide to everything open science at UTRT University and beyond. Hey, Sunli, how are you doing? I'm fine, Siko. How are you doing? I'm doing glamorously. You you seem busy lately, Sunli. Yeah, uh, tell me about that. Uh, I think I've picked up quite too many jobs, so I'm trying to uh, lay down some of the balls or giving it to other people. Wait, wait, what does that mean? What does it mean? <laughs> uh, I guess at least until summer, my uh, yeah, my involvement with the road open science will be a bit less because I've mm. accepted another job on a task force that uh, requires at least 20% of my time. Aye. Okay, that means we're taking applications, people. <laughs> so find us, hook us up on Twitter, send us a DM if you want to be a guest host on our podcast in the future. And we'll certainly take a serious look at it. All right, so what's up for today? We're going to be speaking to Mira Scholte. She's the new chair of the Open Science Platform. And we had a lovely interview with her in person, in the real, about her stance on open science, how she got into it, and what she has planned for the future. It's funny because the first uh, Road to Open Science was also uh, an interview with uh, Frank Miedema mm -hmm. before he became the chair of this platform. And now he's giving his hat. So that already says that, well, something is getting mature. Yeah, okay, we're getting it. We're going into a new phase. That's yeah. what's happening. Become a yes. process instead of a project. And in the meanwhile, a lot of stuff happened. So that means we have to get on to the newsy news. Yes, tell me about it. Okay, so were you invited to the DS suddenly? No, the I watched it online. Annual anniversary of the university. No, the the, the birthday party. I, I watched it online. No problem, because the keynote speaker of that day, Jim van Os, who is a psychiatrist working very closely with public and patient engagement, gave, I think, a wonderful speech and lecture on what open science can mean for actually getting involved with the problems of the patient, in this case, or with psychological disorders. And um, I thought it was a really inspiring speech. That's all I'm going to say about it, because, well, Jim van Os kind of speaks for himself. So we'll just put that in the show notes, but I highly recommend you listening to it. Yeah, uh, open science has become a constant theme for all these uh, celebrations at the university. Well, it's a strategic choice, so that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> Goehoe, go Utrecht. What do you have for me? Well, also, because of the same birthday, it's also 50th year birthday of uh, the Utrecht Academy, which hey, is the very old friend of the show, the founder of the first series, and... Uh, continuous supporter of uh, the Road to Open Science. And you are in that? How long have you been in it? Well, actually, it was also the last day because I had to get, say goodbye uh, after five oh, years. You so take turns. also saying goodbye. Yes, yes. Uh, ah. it's, it's, you can never stay young forever. <laughs> <laughs> Everything no, is maturing goodbye. Today. We have a very festive uh, uh, celebration coming weekend. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, we'll be no more... Uh, member of the Utrecht Academy. Ah, cool. Uh, so last week, I also found it very interesting to see that the Meter Professor event was happening. Or actually, it's a little bit longer ago. Um, but in this event, professors take their bikes and go to elementary schools in Utrecht and tell very young children about what it's like to be a researcher, educator, academic, or a professor in this case. And... Um, they, it always has this public engagement kind of vibe to it, but this year it also had an open data vibe or a sort of citizen science vibe because they rigged these professors with sensors and sent them out 
And on a heat map, you can read out what the air quality in Utrecht is. Oh. Uh, and what do you guess? Measured by the professors. You measured by Must the professors. So it's somewhere underneath their robes. I'm not sure. Maybe it's under their hat. But uh, <laughs> it didn't read very well, by the way. <laughs> no, I mean, a few years ago, it was so bad that they had to take some precautions with the uh, with the cars in the city, right? Yeah. I'm not sure whether it really helped, but the uh, jury is still out. I'm not an expert, but it looked very orange to me. I'll put the map in the show notes as well. <laughs> well, we need more bikes, even more bikes. Even more bikes. What else? Well, the open science community at Utrecht University is looking for new ambassadors. Yeah. I think at a number of faculties, including uh, geosciences and I think veterinary sciences. I thought there were three in total. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. Also it's, beta, uh, the, the natural beta sciences. Also. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So also there we get, are getting into a new round of refreshments, which basically in these cases always means involving even more people. Yeah, and it's quite fun. That's, it's becoming its own, uh, its own role that uh, rolls, literally yeah. rolls. Yeah, and the cool thing is I was lately just looking uh, at the map of the Netherlands just to see how many open science communities there are. And I think by now we've covered every university except for Wageningen for some reason. I couldn't find an open science community there. And also a nice uh, addition to that is that, of course, we know we have an open science program in Utrecht. There's also now an open science coordinator uh, at Leiden University. The VU is thinking about it. The Utrecht University, oh, sorry, Groningen recently announced that they're going to start an open science program. So these things, uh, things are sprouting from the ground, like 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 the yeah, and it has been an export product because there's an open science community Sweden. Oh yeah, yeah. And oh, last don't, don't time I also saw open science community Saudi Arabia with the same sort of inspired logo. So oh, cool, it's connected. Very interesting. Um, and also, especially for listeners of our program who are very much involved with open science, the Open Science Fund has opened up again. Uh, it's taking applications from the 22nd of March until the 20th of May with a funding of 10,000 to 15,000 to support open science project here at Utrecht University. So if you have a cool idea, don't hesitate to send it in. We'll put the link in our show notes, of course. Yeah, and some of the old winners have uh, been guests of this uh, show. So maybe, maybe oh, yeah. if you get it later, you'll also be invited to the Road to Open Science. That's what it's all about, man. Okay, Zico, should we go to our interview? Yes, let's keep it short and sweet and go interview Mira. Yes, let's listen to it. And joining us in the studio today is Mira Scholte, Assistant Professor at the Faculty of Law, Economics and Governance. And she recently became the chair of the Open Science Platform. And of course, we also start with a question. Mira, what drew you into open science? Well, what didn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, thanks a lot for, for, for this invitation. Really honored to be here. Well, I think if, if, I, if I give a very short answer, I think the question of why, why am I doing some things? Mm-hmm. I saw open science very important and I introduced it in like, you know, smaller practices in my academic work, in teaching, in research and, and how it started, it, it well like this. So I was once as a starting assistant professor, I was um, checking the exams of approximately 200 students at the bachelor level at law school. 
And I saw quite some interesting case notes. This is what law students need to write, sometimes, you know, analysis and description of a particular mm. judgment of a court. And I, and I saw really, you know, sometimes like diamonds, uh, interesting ideas, a very good description, straight to the point. And if you look at public sources like Wikipedia, which lots of students, but also uh, people <laughs> use. <laughs> yes, academics use Wikipedia, people. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the, uh, the public source, public encyclopedia that we should be building together. Then I thought, hmm, pity that they actually miss this kind of nice details. So why not, you know, well, it's a pity that students' research goes to archive for, for the grade only. So this is one of the first ideas, I guess, that came to my mind. The same for my research. Yeah, that's interesting that you start with education because open science is often connected with research. But of course, science in itself is the two of them, at least, and maybe even more. So the, the first seeds of becoming an open science practitioner were in education itself. Yeah, now that you say this, yeah, it looks like it. Actually, very interesting. And, and, and in your research, how did you first apply open science principles or practices in your research? Well, for my research, it started in a similar way in the sense that after my PhD, I, uh, I came to Utrecht as a postdoc at the very new uh, research center, uh, the Utrecht Center for Regulation and Enforcement in Europe. Uh, and we started to, well, try to connect regulation and enforcement. It looked like a very new, interesting theme. I saw that there are not so much written on the topic of enforcement. So I started to collaborate with more researchers at that center and then outside as well. So we tried to also ask practitioners in the field, mm -hmm. hey, how is it going? This is development for you guys. So we were having um, projects where we would write together or we would have a dialogue. So this is one of the parts, I guess, uh, public engagement. And at the same time, I again tried to connect the teaching. I had a new course. We have this short elective courses for master students from Master of EU Law or Law in Economics. And what we ask students to do is research a particular topic. So I thought, hey, this is the new trend in Europe. Hey, why don't I, you know, make an elective on this topic? I invited students to write their research papers and the blog post as ah. well. So um, in this in this case, I, I tried to build one kind of, well, not Wikipedia, but one point in Internet where you can find researchers, practitioners, but also students contributing to building up uh, knowledge on that field. And it works still. So I actually, I'm about to start this course for this year. Okay, you built a sustainable thing. That's very difficult to do in general, right? <laughs> That's very nice. And how, how did you enter the Open Science Platform? Uh, Open Science Platform, well, I mean, officially, and I have an official and less official story in a way. Um, at, the, at our faculty, we were busy with this uh, new system at that, at that moment, married system. And uh, uh, our faculty, our dean, um, she asked me, if I could join this kind of, uh, you know, uh, short evaluation of how's it going with the merit. Yeah. At that time, it was 2018 or something like and that. And so merit is here a way to evaluate the, the way that people do their work, right? Yeah. In, in a general sense. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's related to triple, which is uh, a similar model we talked about on an early episode. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and well, a big thing, yeah, and I'm happy that we are <laughs> busy with that, but perhaps we will come back to that later. Um, so uh, I was a bit already introduced to this, you know, topics. And of course, merit has five letters and the, the, the questions come, how we uh, can evaluate our, our researchers, but also how can we develop them? Do we evaluate actually in the same way? Because we have three departments in our faculty 
already. And of course, if you go at the university level, it's, it's much more. And then um, I, I guess the, it was parallel development that I think you started as well uh, as a, one of the forerunners at the first. You mean the the, the task force that wrote this yes. plan for? Uh, yes, that's true. It was before the the platform was formed, and the university had promised and wanted to become at the forefront of open science. So had a very small task force to write a plan how in the next uh, three years we are going to uh, promote open science practices. So I guess to, part uh, of your plan was to ask <laughs> faculty members to join. And that's, that's true. how I yeah, came Part there. of the plan was to set up this platform. And then the task force uh, stopped and the platform started. Yeah. So this is when I joined in as the uh, representative from our faculty together with a colleague. But now he left for another center for you globe. But you already were very interested then in the way that merit functioned or was this something that just came on your path and you thought, okay, maybe it's interesting and I'll just hook up. Is, is, was, was there something prior to that as well? Well, we tried to use it uh, mm -hmm. in, in our uh, evaluation. Um, I think we, we try to um, use it when, for instance, you prepare a venue proposal, something like this to, to, to focus on those things. So it, it looked like a handy scheme or, you know, a bullet point list to, to at least to form your thoughts. Mm -hmm. But what we've noticed at that stage that it was not really uh, implemented everywhere and that different people would use it in a different way. Things like, uh, well, uh, I don't know, at that time it was impact, but now we, well, we also have impact leadership as well. But these things uh, mean different things to different scholars, but also uh, Leiden Haven, the, uh, the supervisors and academic staff or uh, support staff. Yeah. And, and do you think these implementations, for example, we're now doing uh, recognition and reward using triple and you have the same thing. So so professional performance is one of those things that means very different things to different academics because they have different academic practices. In To what degree do you think it's important to make this a homogeneous thing, make it the same everywhere? Do you, do you think that that helps in making it more objective, for example, or do you think it can also be contrary to, to the point itself of, of evaluating people on what they do? Well, kind of, you know, partly in a way yes and partly no on your on your statement in a, in a way that, um, of course, at some point, if you have a certain definition or guidance or uh, framework for a particular term, what it could mean, it's kind of helpful and useful. At the same time, what I see, for instance, if we use different methods and different uh, disciplines, and already at our school we have a recent development of using empirical methods, which costs so much time, it means that you can produce less publications per year. And I can imagine that if you have, a, I don't know, research in, in health or medical uh, or psychology, which takes sometimes years to produce, you, have, you need also bigger teams, it could, you know, impact simpler this quantity of how I much see, you yeah. can produce. So it cannot be the same in the same of, of each and every detail. Yeah, yeah, and and not every super uh, like every supervisor will have more than ten PhDs in their lifetime. Even though there are supervisors in biomedical fields that have ten PhDs at the same time, <laughs> so things tend to be quite different between uh, different cultures in the academia. Yeah. Also, coming back to uh, so so you're basically saying. Uh, recognition and rewards is something you are very interesting in, interested in, but I also hear public engagement here. And what I'm always wondering, was it uh, when you started going into the field and uh, checking whether the plans that government set out and the enforcements had anything to do with each other, 
by actually asking people who were doing the enforcement? Is that something that is natural or normal to your discipline uh, always, or was it something new to law as well? Well, I think it's something natural, but perhaps not for everybody in the same way, mm-hmm. because it depends, of course, if you if you look at case law as the, the basics for your analysis, you would probably be more inclined to talk to judges sometimes. And if you look at legislation, you would be probably looking also at the parliaments. Well, just, you know, just giving an example. So um, for us, it was um, quite natural, but also necessary because there was simply, you know, a new law, a new agency, let's say, at the EU level and lack of information of, of what is going on. And the problems that practitioners told us that they may have, we could take, you know, with us and try to investigate them yeah. from an academic point of view. And then with the intention of changing something or just to study it? Uh, well, I guess there are two um, two aims mm-hmm. of this. On the one hand, you want to contribute to society with the best knowledge you can have, also with students. On the other hand, um, it helps uh, uh, theory building. In my field, or for me especially, uh, I'm in love with the European Union idea, the integration But the theory is a bit lagging behind because we used to think about EU, hey, we're making rules there. But uh, nowadays, the EU is also getting more and more powers in terms of enforcement. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, this was kind of a very, I don't know, mutually uh, profitable exercise. Yes, but then theory and practice are basically two sides of the same coin here. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And how is it in the other parts of your faculty now? Uh, since you have been engaged in the platform and the University of Utrecht has also introduced a lot of these uh, uh, new policies in this strategic plan, and it's also just trickling down to the practices of the faculties now. It's becoming real in more faculties. The first part of my question is that has the acceptance among your colleagues towards this new way of uh, uh, evaluation changed in the past uh, few years and how it has changed because it has become a debate uh, which is now very hard to avoid. Well, I guess the first thing is that um, we are really taking it seriously at the the highest level at our faculty, so I'm really happy for it because, of course, it it means a lot if you have already support and incentives to to do something about it. Secondly, it's debate. The debate is ongoing. Uh, In my section, we do it quite often. We have the faculty open science team or we meet each other and we, you know, exchange the practices, but also challenges sometimes that that, that people may have. And we discuss differences between disciplines. And of course, what what is interesting to see also at, at our platform meetings is that different faculties or disciplines, or sometimes even sub-disciplines, may have different troubles or questions for different parts of the open science. So sometimes it's 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 very actually I think effective to talk to each other because something what you think is a problem may be solved or uh, mm-hmm. not a problem or not seen as a problem at all somewhere else so it helps to hey rethink your ways or your ways of working and and the platform is a sort of a cross faculty university unit how do you think the platform should facilitate this discussion or what should be the role of the platform because various discussions are happening in various faculties or even departments of the faculties what is the role of the platform I would suggest that the the key aim of the platform is to promote and help whatever is going on. So, and this is a unique position because you actually have all the, you know, all the other networks brought together. And uh, 
should there be a missing link or uh, something is not working, we can always ask someone to to join. So I think this is the the, the I would suggest well not the the central uh, organ, but it is really like you know something that you cannot go without in this process. Okay, so I mean, university is a very complex organization of university of ten thousand uh, employees. And there are also a lot of ongoing processes. In a way, you are trying to turn this huge ship while it is uh, uh, already in its track, and it's quite difficult. What are your tools? For example, like the practice of appreciation or the practice of hiring. It's ongoing. There's a very long tradition in different departments, in disciplines, or the practice of uh, recommendation letters. These are things that, you know, over the years have been, and my supervisor does it, the way that uh, his supervisor was doing it for him 30 years ago. And it's quite difficult to steer this to a new direction, say, oh, you have to pay attention to this and that aspect. How do you identify these missing links and how do you try to uh, you know, orient them more towards the ideals of the open science? I like that you make this analogy with the ship, ship because... Um, uh, like a boat, you know, if you have a, a wind with you, you can really go fast and without any effort, or you may have a wind against you, and then it just means that it takes a bit longer and a bit more effort, but you will get there if you want to, if you have a good captain and the crew. So that's exactly what the open science is about. Um, I think it's the first thing is that perhaps, well, I don't know if lower expectation is the right term, but what I mean is that not everything is changing. It's not completely something which is, you know, we are going this way and boom, you know, today we're completely changing the direction. Yeah, it's you not have, immediate. Not immediate, but not uh, things, uh, things change with the time. Look, we've, we are getting used now to after the corona situation with all the uh, teams meetings, which was not there before. Uh, open access comes already with so many years blogging becomes more accepted practice even in, in in my publications i cite them as well and i see my blog posts uh, i've been cited well is it not a uh, kind of academic publication mm-hmm. after all so i think you, we just need to um tell people and the more we talk about this that it's not that much new it's just be aware of the things ask more often yourself why are you doing this yeah why are you publishing and saying an advice to a legislator if the legislator may not be familiar with this publication? Do you ask them or do you send it to them? Do you make a roundtable with them? Do you discuss your recommendation with them? This is so simple, but it's just to make people more aware of the things that they may have been doing already, that is not changing that much, or that they could do to actually get what they want to. And uh, Sandy, you might know, I also uh, often sit at the table when there's an open science platform meeting. They're very informal meetings, I I, I, I think I, uh, I can say here. And um, though I'm not officially a member, I think, of the platform, but I always join in. And what uh, what I find very interesting about this, this level of discussion is basically what you're doing is uh, not only getting yeah, the nose of the self, the top or something. That's not really the main point here. Uh, the main point is to develop a common language on how to speak about certain issues. So you may find out that, for example, a a phrase or a term like maintenance has a very different connotation to somebody who has a collection of books or somebody who actually has machines in their laboratory to work with. But at one point you sort of 
develop a common language together in which you can actually discuss certain things and topics that are open science related that you couldn't talk about before. That's what I often see when these meetings are going on, that people get these ideas like, oh, I've, ne I've never thought about data in this way. But actually, if you say it like this, then now suddenly this policy makes sense. Or suddenly this discussion has more relevance to what I'm doing. And just the mere fact that you need to create this common language, there's only one way to do it. And that's by talking to it, yeah. Yeah, but there is a lot of uh, you know traditions in academia. It's a form of uh, so apprentice uh, mentor uh, culture, and a lot of tacit knowledge that it goes just without speaking. And in the meanwhile, also the expectations from universities changing all the time. I think we cannot deny still the the huge influence of the hierarchy and also the academic hierarchy. The role of supervisors and the power of supervisors over the people who they train. And at the same time, you know, a PhD is about five years and within all these five, ten years, the, the young researchers see that a lot of expectations are changing. So it's quite difficult to figure out who to listen to. And I think that's also could be a role of the university as the official employer of these young researchers to to help them with uh, finding their way and orienting towards a path that leads to their real career and not what their supervisors think it should be. Because you, I think it's quite common that you hear that, oh, this has worked for me and it should work for you. For one, so, Some supervisors say that. Other supervisors say that, you know, with my CV 20 years ago, I will never get a job this, this day. I will have no chance because things have, you know, exploded, you know, you... Now you need a PhD, you need to have at least five articles or in my time one is was enough, et cetera, et cetera. So how are you going to connect to these younger generations which are in training and uh, also bring this new development to their attention? Do you mean students or PhD researchers? Uh, both. So I think it starts from at the master research at least that students have to pay attention to such things like how to manage their data, how to collaborate. They also build this intrinsic culture that, oh, if I get my publication in sort of this glossy journal, I must be a very good, successful researcher. And even without anybody talking, if they don't, then they feel you know, inferior or maybe not suitable for science, choose a different career. All the way to, you know, first year, second year PhD. And I think postdoc is really the critical moment that make people have to make their minds. But this, is, this happens over five years. Uh, how are you going to help these people? Well, Like you say, uh, um, who do we, who do you have to listen to? In my experience, and this is what actually my mom <laughs> taught me: listen to your heart. Um, uh, really, do things the right things that you think they are right for you. But of course, uh, you know, for the society at that time, you know, at specific time moment and your career or study, uh, you can make a decision based on that information only. So, as if you are well informed. Uh, about, I mean, I see lots of advantages of open science for basically any career. And also if you are going outside uh, to work elsewhere. Uh, Which the majority of people do. Yeah. Yeah. Out of 10, Even after the PhD, right? So it is okay. I mean, uh, that's, that's uh, the university's kind of core business is to train great professionals for whatever uh, we, we can do in our society. This is already, in a way, public engagement and education mm -hmm. uh, in, at, at its core. So I would suggest listen to your 
to your heart and 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 see what is best um what kind of qualities do you have uh what can you do with 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 your knowledge what do you aim at and ask a question why why do you want to uh, to be a doctor or to be a, a professor um like funny enough if i if i think back um when i was well small at school i wanted to be an ambassador uh like international that's why i studied international relations first uh-huh and uh, and you know at some point and was it because you wanted to have this private car with a say day and go anywhere and park anywhere or was it was there diplomatic more? Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah important. well yeah i, I like that <laughs> but i i kind of always was good in history and i loved history i loved english uh, we had only one uh, foreign language at school um i um I don't know. I, I really, you know, I was good in all subjects in a way in, in where I studied. We only have excellent, good and, and satisfactory mm-hmm. and then fail. And I had excellent for all a subject except for the my lo- own language <laughs> and literature <laughs> in my own language. <laughs> There I would always make a grammar mistake. <laughs> so it was only good. So I, I li- just like those subjects, you know, and I like the study because it was actually 30% economics, 30% political science, 30% law. I love that 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 uh, that idea of multidisciplinarity, which I find really the core. And actually, what you've just said is completely right. Um, in our world, we cannot, you know, graduate from school or the university and be ready for your whole life with that diploma. We have to, you know, uh, accept the fact that whatever you will do in academia or elsewhere, you will have to um, learn with professional education, executive education, and again, where we can, as a university, we can play a great role. And that's, again, open science. I hear your answer in a way that, yeah, these people, they are very smart and also adults. They can pick and choose what they learn and listen to. But still, I would like to push back a little bit here because university is a public institution with a very long tradition and a role in the society and this role also changes over time we see it even you know even a pandemic can change the role of university uh, it is also has a very long tradition it has a longer tradition than the parliament for example many other institutions in society so has some steering power and the platform in our university the open science platform has been given this role to uh, manage this transition right this is the mission of the platform if I remember correctly when I write. <laughs> and uh, so how the, in a system level, the platform is going to do that without sort of, I mean, on top of what we ask from the individuals? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a question I have to think about. Uh, well, I feel like there are a number of questions that are coming from you which have something in common. This, in a way, kind of difficult dilemma Uh, tradition versus changes. Mm-hmm. And I guess open science uh, is seen something like a change and a huge challenge to this traditionary, perhaps in a way slowly m- moving boat <laughs> um, uh, on its own way, with its own uh, ways of, of doing things. Uh, but this new stuff is coming, a new wave, I don't know. And then, But if you look back, I think at the development of the university, we have had this kind of you know waves already. So it's I think the role of the platform in a way is to build this uh, to make sure that the boat is resilient to to this kind of you know shocks but it's actually it needs this kind of waves to to go forward okay sort of an adapt- adaptation mechanism actually for the yeah. university uh, okay 
in a way, it's also a tradition in science and the university. I think we have had so many, you know, bigger changes in the past as well. Yeah, coming from the research university is one example. It was education center mostly became, you know, research intensive. Uh, And uh, common themes in our platform meetings are like we're hearing this. Or we are seeing this problem. We're seeing so there's iceberg ahead, and the need something needs to be needs to be done. Something needs to happen. And because you're there with a group of people from all faculties, and they're from different walks of academic life, uh, then at least you sort of know who to contact next, or where to actually go to with this problem. And it's, it's also an early warning system. And I think one of the latest times we we talked about uh, the, the the latest movement was basically like resistance to change and and uh, being really respectful and adaptive to people coming with genuine legitimate concerns because they they are there always. But I do also agree with the analogy here that yes, the university I think this one's been around for four centuries and there have always been waves and there have always and and some some of them you can you have to steer around. Sometimes you can actually use them to your advantage to sort of speed things up. Yeah, and I see, for instance, one of the biggest opportunities for us is this multi or inter or non-disciplinarity because many issues that we face today, the planet, the society, cannot be answered simply with, you know, one way of thinking. You can go in depth on a particular issue with one discipline, but at the end of the day, it really, you need to cooperate together. And open science, I think, is another venue where we can listen to each other, talk about different languages and, oh, for instance, for lawyers, sometimes they, we, we use the word model, but I can imagine that economics, you know, or in economics or other uh, disciplines, model means something completely different uh, than what we try so to So you've recently become the chair of the Open Science Platform. Do you have an idea or like a, a dot on the horizon, like I want to get there within a year or within three years. When you, when you look back when you're old and retired and think back of your time at the Open Science Platform, when do you think you're... Yeah, for the listeners, in three years, Mira will not be retired. She's still young. <laughs> no, no, but if, you, if you're like, you're looking back on a successful life, then, then what would you think is something you really want to see accomplished by the team or do you want to accomplish yourself? Well, Actually, you know, in in terms of uh, in light of triple uh, uh, model, T <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, team stays, you know, as the first, and the, the emphasis is made on this um, on this characteristic or this uh, something what we want to promote. So I would would have loved to see how we, as a team, as a university, of course, with the platform, that we could move and make it a bit more implemented and concrete. The triple model. Because I, I love the idea. I, I I see that many people get excited. At the same time, you see the, the excitement goes with a bit of fear. Like, hey, but where are we going to? You know, what's the next step? What, what do you propose really? And this is what I would I would have loved if we could answer this question for all disciplines. Can I can I share a bit of, a bit of pain with you here? Because uh, this is a statement I paraphrase uh, because I don't want to quote anyone, but there is this among at least a part of this uh, community, the university we are talking about, some of very, let's say, traditionally or even with current standards, pretty successful uh, people from their disciplines that have you know raised and shown their performance that would say that triple is uh, is excuse for the failed researchers who want to, you know, cannot do it in the way I did it, you know, by getting grants and, you know, making a 
name and they just want to uh, destroy the opportunities for the good researchers for their own sake. And I've heard this. Uh, what would you say to these people? Well, I heard something similar. Like um, what they're doing is that they just simply justifying what some people are doing in with this system. So, I mean, I can imagine this concern. Um, I would say, um, why do you do your things? What for? And don't you think that you've been already involved in the things that open science stands for? It's just perhaps a different term, a different practice, or just simply like like with my colleagues, I say, hey, but. Like, if you are writing something with a view of recommending something, are you sure that the, you know, the one that you want to have on the table with your article is there? And if not, then why not to get there? So it's like making an extra step. I truly hope that at some point, you know, it's like a reference list, reference or, you know, footnotes. We have to make them when we publish, right, uh, according to certain style. So at some point, I truly hope, like, it becomes another step in our publication that we think, hey, uh, okay, I've done this job. Um, is it the scientific community that I wanted to talk to? Is it informed? But is it, for instance, a publication is the only method? Or can I write quickly a short blog post, more accessible also for the public, for my grandma, to, to get more people involved? Yeah, so, like, I understand that. It's like an extra step, but it's, it's extra not, I, I don't want it to be seen as the extra workload. I wanted to be really like feel, hey, there's something is necessary to be done in this world. I think that's where things become sort of critical because if you see it as a zero-sum game, people who are successful in the old system of bringing grants and having a lot of sort of a, a large research group, they also engage in public engagement their own way. They, they see that. I understand that. But I guess somehow intrinsically we have an, accepted that but that's the real thing, the research and the big lab and the, you know, the respect in the community is the good thing. And the rest we do on the side because the society expects or our dean expects and we have to help them to survive, you know, in the face of the politics and the media, etc. But if you uh, tell the younger researchers that, you know, do the sidekick as a main activity, then you are sacrificing quality and excellence. That's a term that always comes. What about research excellence? And that's the, then the, the tension rises that people see that as uh, sort of it, it is a zero-sum game. If the person who is doing mostly public engagement becomes a professor, means that you know my colleague who has spent a lot of time in the lab cannot become a professor. How how can how can we fix this interpretation that this is not about a zero-sum game at the university? Well, <laughs> I think um, you know from my research, I have read. I do research on um, why people uh, comply with rules. And one of the really landmark articles, it was saying basically that people do not comply with rules or they don't want, for instance, to be regulated when they do not understand why their freedom or the way they are operating can actually, you know, need to be restricted. And this is a kind of, for me, a similar argument. Like, I am used to work in this way, um, I think, you know, and, and brings me success. I also have got, I don't know, Veni. I know from some disciplines it's perhaps less uh, important, I've heard. <laughs> uh, but for our discipline, it, it's quite important. Um, uh, I also was collaborating with nine universities to get a grant from the European Commission. And we've got it from the first time, uh, which I know some people it took three times to apply, so three years. So I wouldn't consider me a loser, complete loser. <laughs> uh, yet I, I feel like wherever I do, 
I always feel like asking the question, why, why, why? And, and this helps me to make this connection more natural, I would say. Uh, for the young researchers, um, I think you should see it, and I, I think our dean told this uh, once, and I really like that, uh, as a step. So triple, it's not perhaps written on one line, but as a step process within your career. You obviously start with your PhD, and that's research, sometimes together with a few teaching obligations. It's okay, focus on that. Once you have your results, or you have sometimes the data that you want to share, do that. If you're not sure yet, you're very young, a bit, uh, yeah, we've all been there with the first article, first conference, we were quite shaky. Wait a bit, defend your PhD, and make your public engagement event. I mean, it's not like each Friday I'm doing the public engagement on whatever I, I've been doing. Once you enter your academic career, you become postdoc and or associate or assistant professor. Again, teaching is very important at that time, a bit more important in the sense that you 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 may get course coordinatorship, master coordinatorship, etc. So you kind of move a bit because you have built upon certain things. I, for instance, I started as postdoc here. I published like seven or eight articles just simply thanks to four years of my PhD research. So. I don't see it as something, um, you know, like uh, the, this is the main theme. See it as a step-by-step -step growing process. And once you have to share something, uh, do this. If you feel, you know, the need, do one thing at a time. Choose, for instance, podcasting mm -hmm. as your open science connection to the society. And just do it once in a while. And that's your contribution. Yeah. And it should count. I would say, right? Yeah. The good institutions should actually uh, praise and count all the good intentions and positive contributions of its uh, employees. How can we make this sort of go away from this competition model then? Because if people see this as a competition for the, the highest prize, uh, they would, of course, want to be the best. And academia is full of very competitive people. And we also have seen that Whenever comes a new criteria, they want to be the best also in that criteria or downplay it. Uh, so how can we sort of reduce this competition factor and, you know, put a bit more emphasis on the T, the teamwork? Yeah, healthy competition is, of course, you know, considered to be good. On the markets, for instance, it goes, uh, the, the, the price goes down, etc. But I think um, it, we, and I see really triple as the way of getting there. Um, I think we have to, promote cooperation rather than competition. Because what we are asking at this moment is, okay, we are the team, three of us <laughs> sitting at this table. Um, we ask us to work together as a team, but at the end of the day, we are the main competitors in a way for each other for the next function, more or less. I mean, if we all want to stay in Utrecht at this university, we are all working at this discipline. You know, yeah, Let's and go for the, for the head of the university. It can be competitors well, yeah. having to... Well, there's three people in there at Safe Bay. <laughs> exactly, so we are fine. I'm, I'm, pro I'm probably not going to be the rector. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, for cooperation. So what we see is, is funniness that you can ask the team, but the team is based on happy members. And happy members are the ones who do not feel threatened by, for instance, you ask me, you ask me for an article, uh, to review your article or proposal, and I will think, oh, should I give my honest review? because you may get that grant and promotion and not me. These questions should not be coming. I should be always willing to give the best knowledge of mine to share whatever advice I can with you, 
without having this afterthought. And sometimes in some reviews from gen- uh, journals, which are <laughs> anonymous, mm-hmm. um, you see this kind of hesitation from um, peer reviewers who perhaps do not wish you well. And so, so they're not, not actually helping you? No. So and the peer review here, the academic critical review here, is actually not helping you advance the I, I prefer to have a critical friend there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, so it could be a, a very different reason. But I guess with the triple, once we make sure that you know individual promotions do not depend on, on having this team or, or um, that you can go instead of me, that we can have really a healthy, great team all over the world. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely the case. And in, in the messaging, even in the uh, competitive environments, it's always possible to find helpers. And even you know, even in very uh, hostile environments, it's always possible to find helpers. And it would be very important to emphasize that and promote that. And maybe a university, as an institution, can can do that. We still choose whose picture to put on the wall, and if that becomes a criteria to promote, then we can choose to also promote the people who collaborated well or helped other people. Yeah, and I also I like your notion of happy people. Because basically, sometimes I think back on why are we doing this program and why are we involved in open science? And well, primarily, that's because I meet a lot of very nice and happy people. And that's the main goal that we all seem to share is make this university and our society a better place to be in. And I think that is a beautiful notion on your part, Mira, to end this interview with. Because we're running out of time, man. <laughs> um, we very much like to keep hearing nice from you. Of course, if people want to know what's up in the Open Science platform, they can, for example, uh, listen to our podcast or also subscribe to the Open Science newsletter, which regularly uh, shares information or new uh, developments from the Open Science program and platform. Thank you very much for being here today, Mira. Yeah, thanks for inviting. And uh, yeah, it's it's nice that you know we can make a formal. It perhaps sounds very strange from a from a person from a law school (laughs) but you know open science equals happiness (laughs) (laughs) beautiful fantastic thank you very much Mira thanks a lot you've been listening to the road to open science podcasts the road to open science is an initiative from the Utrecht Young Academy and supported by the open science platform at Utrecht University this episode was edited by me Lieven Heremans Please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date.